You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. We're just going to start off today by reading our passage. We're in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. All right, I'm just going to read this straight through. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we are. Here we are at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been here for years, literally years at this point. And it's been a really sweet journey. And, and for me, I start to get sentimental at moments like this when we've been on this long journey together in the book of Matthew and we're coming to the end. And, and it reminds me of, of going to the movies and, and seeing like a great movie. And at that last scene at the very end of the movie, that, that last line is so powerful, like makes or breaks the movie, right? And, and I think that if, there's, that if there's one thing that beats the final scene of a movie, it's a post-credit scene in a movie, and here, you know, we're in the age of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We all, we're well-versed in the post credit scene, right? And, and guys, bear with me. I'm going to nerd out here. But it, it, it's relative. It's relevant, I promise. So I, I think back to the first Avengers movie almost 10 years ago. And, and 20 of us guys from my college dorm, from my floor... We went out to see Avengers, and it was opening night. It was actually like the Thursday before, so it was like a midnight release. I mean, we were, I mean, you can imagine it, just a gaggle of nerds just out on the town, ready to party and watch the Avengers, right? And so the movie ends, and there's that final scene, and then the the credits roll, but we knew that that was not really the end. You know, as you're sitting there and you watch like the 3,000 names go by, you know that there's a special part coming afterwards. And so we, these dutiful nerds, sitting there watching, we're sitting in this darkened room, and not a single person in this whole theater got up. Every single person sat there and waited because we knew what was happening. And so, I mean, this is a spoiler, but it is a 10-year-old movie, so at this point it's on you. Uh, so the, the credits finish rolling, and then the screen goes dark, and the camera pans, and it's this like outer space shot. And then there's a guy on screen, and he's saying something, but none of us heard it, because everyone is going nuts. Everyone's like, yeah, I mean, losing it, right? So finally, the theater quiets, like, hush. And, and the, this guy who's on the screen, you know, the, the villain from the movie, he says this, this line, like, to challenge the humans is to court death. And the cameras zoom in, zoom in, and we see Thanos' face. 
oh my gosh, we lost it. We were going nuts. There was cheering in the theaters. There was people yelling. There was some of us who were just like immediately, we're just like, oh, I got to talk about this. I got I to talk about what's going on. Those of us who are comic book nerds, we're just going crazy here. And so now, almost 10 years later, if you follow the Marvel movies at all, you know that that guy Thanos, he becomes the big bad villain that they fight. And 16 movies and billions and billions of dollars later, everyone in the whole world follows along this story. But, but this bad guy is first set up in this one small post credit scene, less than a minute long. In our passage today, it, it's kind of like a post credit scene in a Marvel movie. See, we've, that, we've sat through this whole movie. We've, we've gotten the big reveals and the twists and turns of the gospel. We, we've had the highs. We've had the lows. We saw the moments where Jesus was crucified and we cried. And then when he rose from the dead, we cheered. We applauded. And now we've come to this scene, the Great Commission, And friends, what I want you to hear today is that this is not the part of the movie where you get up and walk out. This is the part that we've been building towards. And just like in that theater 10 years ago, me and all my friends, we sat around because we knew the good part was coming. We're going to sit here and we're going to watch this post-credit scene. And we're going to see is that just like a Marvel movie post-credit scene. Matthew, he sets us up for something big that's coming too. And he leaves us on a cliffhanger. So as we, you know, leave the theater here, or in other words, as we go about our lives, we go around talking about what we just saw. We talk about the excitement that we had and what we've gone through. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about where we've been in the book of Matthew we're going to talk about this story that we've gone through, the gospel. And we're talking about this post-credit scene and why it is so important for the church. And we're going to see three things in our time today. First, we're going to see that Jesus deserves worship. Second, we're going to see that Jesus calls us to make disciples. And third, we're going to see that Jesus promises to be with us all along the way. So let's pray before we jump in. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew. Just the blessing it is to get to see the life of Jesus and to read through this story and to see how you came to us. You did not stay far off. But you loved us so much that you came to us to solve the problem of our sin and brokenness. And that you call us into a life of following you and telling other people about you. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our passage opens today. If we can pull that back up on the screen. Our passage opens today with the 11 disciples, the, the 12 minus, Jesus, minus Judas. Excuse me. And Matthew also he implies a, a bigger group of believers 
that are with them. And they've come to meet Jesus. Now he told them, meet me in Galilee. And so here they are, post-resurrection, after his appearances, here they are in Galilee. And the eleven's first reaction right away is to bow down and worship him. And already, right out the gate, we're hitting our first point. See, this, re- this reaction to worship Jesus is the appropriate response. You know, last week, David Jordan walked us through these scenes where Jesus came and met the eleven after his resurrection. And it's after these, this scene, or these scenes, it's after these appearances, that the eleven, when they see Jesus, they throw themselves on the ground, worshiping him. In fact, if you see here, uh, in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them. And so it's like, it's like they just see Jesus, and immediately they throw themselves to the ground. They didn't, they didn't even get all the way to him, and they start worshiping. And here Matthew, he's inviting us into the story then. See, we've also been following Jesus around in his journeys for the past few years. Actually, about three years, just about the same amount of time as the disciples following Jesus around. And like the disciples who were with Jesus, you know, in these small chunks, one Sunday at a time, we've seen Jesus' teaching, and we've seen the things that he's done. We've been challenged and encouraged by the, the beauty that he's offered. And then like the disciples, we saw him crucified, killed in our place to take the punishment that we deserved. And just when it almost seemed hopeless, like death had won, we saw Jesus triumphant over the grave. And not just the grave. See, this is really important. He says here, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to him. So in other words, all authority that was rightfully his as the creator of the universe has been returned to him because he bought it back with such a steep price, the price of his life. And so here Matthew is inviting us into the story because he says, when the disciples see Jesus, resurrected Jesus, they respond. So the question then is now that we have walked through this journey and now we see resurrected Jesus, how do we respond? We see two responses from Jesus' disciples here. It says, when the eleven saw him, they worshipped. But some of his other followers doubted. And and actually, the, the message translation, I love the way he does this here. It says, the moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. And this is so good because this word here, it says doubted. Actually, it's only used one other time in the Holy New Testament. This is wild. It's, it's used in the Gospel of Matthew alone. Do you remember the passage where Jesus walks on water and then Peter asks him to call him out on the water too? It's going to be on the screen, but when, when Jesus calls Peter on the water, we see that the winds pick up, and that Peter gets scared, and he starts to sink. And he cries out to Jesus, he, he asks him to save him. And then Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. 
And he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's the same word, doubt. And then they get back into the boat, and the winds stop, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Right then and there they worship him. And so our passage today is similar to Peter walking on water. It's a look into the life of the believer where doubt and, and really hesitation could be a good translation of this word is really just a normal part of the Christian life. I mean, I wish that I could stand here and I, I wish that I could tell you that, that I've never had moments of doubt and hesitation, but man, that would be such a lie. I've had doubts before. Of course I have. I've had moments of hesitation. I've had moments where I've said, do I really want to follow Jesus? Moments where, where, like Jesus says, you count the costs of following him. I have hesitations. And man, if even those who lived with Jesus for years and saw all that he did, doubted or hesitated, if even Peter, when he literally sees Jesus walking on water, gets scared and starts to sink, then it's so normal that we're going to have experiences like that too. It is so reasonable for us to have seasons of struggle and doubt and again, hesitation. And so friends, wherever you're at today, what I want us to see first and foremost is back here in Matthew 13, I want to see how Jesus responded to Peter. See, what we see is that, that he didn't just leave Peter there to drown in his own weakness. He didn't just say, well, you don't believe, so now you can deal with your own hesitations. No, immediately he reached out his hand and grabbed Peter. Jesus saves first and corrects later. So no matter where you're finding yourself today, here we are looking at the resurrected Jesus face to face with his glory and all that he's done in these past few years in Matthew. And wherever you're at, whether it is worship and praise, or whether it is like the disciples, moments of doubt and hesitation, you're scared, The answer, the, the response that we see from the Gospel of Matthew is to, is to call out to Jesus. Either call out in praise and worship or call out in, in honesty and vulnerability asking him to save you. Ask him to save you from yourself, your sin, your doubt and hesitation, whatever it is. Because the image that we see here is, is him standing there, Jesus standing there, arm outstretched, calling to you. Don't be shy. He's calling to you. And see, what we have to see is that this, this picture of Jesus, arm outstretched and calling, this is the vision we're supposed to catch. See, back to our passage today, Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We are supposed to read this and we're supposed to catch a vision of Jesus. We're supposed to catch a picture. All authority and power on heaven and on earth is Jesus. He is the creator of the universe and the rightful king, and he is ruling again, and he is worthy of worship. And it's because of that 
that he says this in verse 19. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. See, Jesus says, Therefore, go therefore. See, the idea is that, is that this, this go therefore, is the next logical step from the previous line. All authority and power has been given to him. And we know that he's died for us. He's borne our sins, died in our place. He rose again from the dead so that we can too. And so we, what Jesus wants us to see, what he wants us to do is to catch a vision of this. But he doesn't want us to just catch a vision of the resurrected Jesus and sit on it. This is a picture that moves us. It's a picture that sends us. See, we don't serve a God who stayed where he was. We serve a God who went, who came to us. And so it makes a lot of sense that in serving him, that means that we will also go. It's in light of this that Jesus says, go and make disciples. And man, if you're like me, this is the part of the sermon where you hope that the preacher says, now really, if we look at the Greek, it says this, that, and the other. Or if we break down the sentence, really, Jesus is saying something different. But I'm not, I'm not going to do that today. Actually, the Greek very clearly points us back to this idea. This is a very straightforward command here. Go and make disciples. Is it easy? No, not at all. But it is straightforward. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down this command. We're going to jump into this verse, and we're going to see, that we'll see what it means for us to go and make disciples. So we're going to break down into three parts. We're going to go through verses 19 and the first part of 20, and we're going to figure out what it is we're supposed to do. What does it mean to go and make disciples? So the first thing we see, verse 19, first two words. Go, therefore. So I touched on this earlier, but, but again, it's worth repeating. Jesus says that in light of the crucifixion, in light of the resurrection, we need to go. And so for starters, for those of us who are following Jesus, this means that we are going somewhere. Maybe that means we go across the street. Maybe it means we go next door. We go to the office next to ours. Go to our friends, whatever it is. The idea is that we are going and talking about Jesus to our friends, neighbors, co-workers. Because of what Jesus has done for us, he commands us to go and talk about it. Tell others about it. And really, this is the first thing we have to wrestle with. See, the, the assumption is not that some will go and some will not go. The assumption is that really everyone is going. Now, what form that takes will differ from person to person. But what we have to see is that we are all going. We're all going about our lives. We're all going to work. We're all going to meet with family. We're all going in some form or another. We're all going. So the idea is that in going, we're making disciples. And this is a big idea. This is a lot to deal with. And so a good place to start with things like this is, is with Small steps. You know, when Jesus calls Peter out on the water 
Peter doesn't skip and dance and, and uh, tumble his way across the water. He gets out one step at a time. And so just like that, just like that act of faith, here we should take one step at a time. We should think of this in small steps. And a good way to take that first step is to just be intentional about how we think about those around us. You know, around here at the Vine for a little while, we've been talking on and off about this idea of who's your one. If you haven't heard of it, I'll tell you. The question we're trying to ask ourselves as Vine members is, who is your one? Who's your one? In other words, the idea is that who is your one person that you are going to be intentional about, that you're going to think about how to share the gospel with them, how to have opportunities to talk to them and and draw them to Jesus, or, or point them to Jesus, rather. And so in this who's your one mentality, what we're doing then is we want to just take opportunities to talk to people. Maybe that just means go out to coffee with somebody or have them over for dinner or man, maybe something happens in their life or your life and you have the opportunity to talk about something deeper than just Marvel movies and the weather. And what we should do is we should take these opportunities to ask questions. Ask questions like, do you have any kind of spiritual background? Or, or do you have any faith beliefs? You know, questions like that. It doesn't have to be complicated. That's the whole deal. We just want to ask questions to see where people are at. And then we can ask if we can share what we think. And man, trust me, I, I'm talking to myself right now. I'm talking to myself about this. This is hard. I I know this is hard. But the important thing that we see is that that however you do it, it's important to see that Jesus has sent us for this. He sent us to make disciples. This is not an optional part of Christianity for the super spiritual. This is a movement that we're a part of. And man, it is all hands on deck. And the important thing that we see in this is, is that the call is not to go and save people. The call is not to go and change people's lives. The call is to go and point people to Jesus. Because you are not there out there saving them. I'm not there saving them. We've not been called to go and save people. We've been called to point people to Jesus. And so this is not a call to go, therefore, and change the world. That's Jesus' job. Remember, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Not me, not you, not us. This is not a call to go out there and do something powerful. It's just a call to show up and be faithful. And the second thing we'll look at in this is this line, make disciples of all nations. You know, sometimes I can take this for granted that our faith, that Christianity, that following Jesus is an international affair. I mean, if you think about it, unless you were born in Israel, 
to a Jewish family that believes in Jesus, you are a beneficiary of this multi-ethnic movement. See, remember, Jesus said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. That means authority over all people groups. It means that there is no boundary in the world that the gospel does not reach across. There's no people group that Jesus is disinterested in. He's got a heart for every tongue and tribe and nation, as the Bible says. And then one day, we see in the book of Revelation, there's a picture that in heaven, when we're all together, that we will worship Jesus together, all tongues and tribes and nations, people from all over the world, all throughout history, of every walk of life, will be worshiping him there. And it's going to be a beautiful picture Now, it's important for us to see that this passage is not calling for every believer to go and leave their home, country, or land to serve Jesus. In fact, if we look at the book of Acts, the apostles, a lot of the apostles, stuck around Jerusalem. They focused on their people. They focused on their neighborhoods. If everyone leaves, who's going to preach in Madison, Wisconsin? Right? But we do have to see that the call is global. This is not just a call for those of us sitting here in the church. So again, the challenge is to go. Some of us, this is a call to another city, another country. We're being called to go out in the world and spread the gospel. But for all of us, this is at least a call to cross whatever boundaries or cultural lines there are around us. And so there are a lot of ways to do do this. It does not mean that we all are called to go to other countries and serve in that way. There are a lot of ways to do this. Maybe you should reach out to the McGinn's, to Brian McGinn, and, and serve international students who are coming here to Madison. Maybe this is your opportunity to make disciples of all nations because they're coming here to us. And maybe that means that you go down to Ecuador with the team and, and serve the missionaries there. Or maybe this means you go to North Africa next time. Or maybe this means that in our city group time, we focus and emphasize a time of prayer about those from other cultures and boundaries in our community and in the world. Going, making disciples of all nations is not necessarily a call to move somewhere else, but it is a call to go, to cross boundaries wherever they are. The last thing we'll see in the Great Commission is that it's a call to make disciples. I've been saying this already, but but if you really thought about what does it mean to make disciples— See, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, go therefore and spread the good news about me. And he also doesn't say, go therefore and get people to act better. No, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. And this is the heart of the Great Commission. It's about following Jesus. It's about seeing his life, death, and resurrection. And deciding that we want to follow him because where else will we go? It's about seeing him and worshiping him for all that he's done 
for us and asking him to work through our doubt and hesitation. I mean, it's about seeing that he has all authority on heaven and on earth and realizing that other people need to know about this. So what is making disciples? One, one commentator said this. It's such a great line. To disciple a person to Christ is to bring him into the relation of pupil to teacher, taking his yoke of authoritative instruction, accepting what he says as true because he says it, and submitting to his requirements as right because he makes them. And this is the vision that we're supposed to catch. See, Jesus says that we're supposed to be making disciples, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The command isn't to baptize. It's to make disciples, baptizing them. And we see that we're not commanded to teach people. We're commanded to make disciples, teaching them to follow all that Jesus commanded and taught. You see what I'm getting at here? This isn't a command to go out there, get people saved, and then send them along. As Christians, we don't, uh, we don't dunk and pass, right? And we're also not called to go out there and tell everyone how they're screwing up and how to not be bad people and, and throw the Bible at them. No, we are not street corner protesters yelling and foaming at the mouth We are people who follow Jesus, who submit to his authority and listen to him as the ultimate source of authority in our lives. And our goal is to connect other people to that same source of life. And again, this is good news for us because this means that it is not up to us to save the world. It is not our job to make sure that everyone gets saved. It's not our job to make sure that people do better or act better. Our job is to go into the world and point people to Jesus to make disciples. So as we think about what this means for us to make disciples, there's a helpful image that uh, my friend Ben Newton uses. It's the idea of having plus one conversations. And so... The idea is that if we think about every person being on a a spectrum somewhere of discipleship, there's a a scale. At, say, negative 10, you've got the most staunch atheist, or or, I I believe there's a God, I choose not to follow him. And plus 10 is like the perfect devout follower of Jesus. Probably Jesus is the only example of that. And everyone is somewhere on the spectrum. Everyone is somewhere on the scale. And so the idea is that if, if uh, negative 10, staunchly against God, <clears throat> positive 10, you're following God perfectly, right there at zero is the moment of salvation. This is the moment where you come to Jesus and follow him, when he saves you. So the idea is that when we're going out and we're talking to non-believers, our goal is to have a conversation in which they can move one step closer to following Jesus. So if someone, for example, is at a negative eight, your goal in that conversation is not necessarily, I need to make you the perfect follower of Jesus. 
You just want to be there in that moment to help them take one step closer to following Jesus. We ask questions that can lead people to following him one small step at a time. And, and ultimately, this is great because this applies to our conversations with believers too. If we're all on this scale somewhere, then even with other believers, we should be thinking about ways to have conversations that move us all one step closer towards discipleship. So if even if someone's following Jesus, our conversations should have this tint of helping each other move closer to Jesus. So when you meet with another believer, let's ask questions, let's encourage each other in faith so we can move closer to him. And let's be open to those conversations and questions too so that we can take that one step closer to him. And again, at the end of the day, our, our goal is not have one conversation and, and everything's different. Our goal is just to keep pointing people to Jesus, just to keep helping people take that one more step to him, move us a, a little closer along, and for us to be moved a little closer along too. This is the picture. This is the picture of the Great Commission. Jesus sends us into the world, baptizing us. Sorry, sends us into the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he commanded us. It's not just a belief system. It's a whole way of life. It's a movement. It's following Jesus, the one who went. And so we go too. And friends, this is so important. Jesus promised us that when we go, that he will go with us too. The second part of verse 20 says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is where I want to leave us at today. I want to remind you that wherever you're at in this process of following Jesus, whether you are a brand new believer or whether you've been doing this for a long time, he has promised that when you go, he goes with you. Friends, it's been a long time since we started Matthew, but if you'll flip with me back to chapter 1, all the way back to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus was not yet born, an angel appeared to Joseph, and it's in that scene that Matthew tells us something. In verse 1, chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, what we have to see is that the Gospel of Matthew ends the same way that it started. It started with a promise that God would be with us, that Jesus would be Emmanuel. And it's because that he is God with us that he sends us into the world. So he sends us to be a people who share about him, who make disciples, because just like when the Gospel of Matthew started with a promise of God with us, it ends with a promise of God with us. And that's the encouragement today, is that wherever you're at in this process, wherever you're going, Jesus has promised that he will go with you. It is God's, God with us. 
And friends, it's, it's in light of this, of who Jesus is and what he's done with, for us, that we go and make disciples. So let's go and make disciples. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that yours are the words of life. We thank you that you've not called us to save the world. You've not called us to fix things. You've just called us to show up and be faithful in serving you, whatever that looks like. And that you promise that you have all authority and power on heaven and earth. We know this is not a call to passivity. This is a call to activity. That you called us to move and to go. To share the good news to those around us. To point people to you. And we just pray, Lord, that we could be a people who are molded and shaped by the Great Commission. We pray that we would be Great Commission people, that every week when we go from here, that we would be sent by you to serve your people, to speak the truth about you, Lord, and to point people to you. We just pray that as we go from here, that you would just continue to shape us in that, that wherever we're at here, that you would reach out to us. Save us and save those around us, Lord. And we trust that this is a good work that you're doing. We thank you for everything you give us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.